Well, hello again, Tony Payne here. Welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth. Here I am, back in the land of Vegemite and budgie smugglers and drop bears and all those Australian things. After two busy, tiring, but really invigorating and encouraging weeks uh, in the United States of America. I never did manage to send around that second postcard from America that I was talking about. I guess reality kind of collided with my optimism there. But this week's episode is kind of the next best thing. It's a postcard from Australia, from a weary but happy returned traveller, with some reflections about his sojourn in a strange land. And I don't say strange land in any pejorative sense. It's just that America is different. There's no doubt about that. It's different in so many ways. And it's sometimes disorienting for an Aussie evangelical Christian. Because at one level, there's so much in the States that seems familiar and immediately recognisable, I guess partly perhaps because of our shared British heritage, or simply just because we consume so much American culture in all its forms, popular forms and Christian forms. And yet the differences do keep slapping you in the face. Some of them are negatives, I suppose you'd say. For example, they put sweet jam on chicken and salad sandwiches. What's that about? Uh, The coffee is mostly terrible, although improving over the years, I'm noticing, as I keep going back. And Americans never put the handbrake on when they park the car. Very weird. But I think we should try to be a little bit more American about all of this, which is to say more grateful and more positive. Because that's the first thing that strikes me every time when I visit the US, which I've done perhaps 15 times over the last two decades, it's the positivity. American evangelical Christians, the ones I mix with, and I think they're representative, they just have an easy kind of thankfulness about them that I don't tire of experiencing. There's no embarrassment or hesitation in thanking you, thanking you warmly for the good or helpful things you might have done nor is there any kind of awkwardness about receiving praise or thanks or affirmation. In fact, my US colleague Marty Sweeney is sure that I keep coming back to the States each year just so that I can get my annual dose of positive affirmation to keep me going for the next 12 months. And he's probably right. I think I get nearly as much warm and genuine thanks, encouragement and general affirmation during those two-week American trips than in the other 11 and a half Australian months. Now, any kind of thankful positivity like this, including the American variety of it, I guess can become annoying. It can become cloying or fake. It could sometimes be unrealistic or even manipulative. But I think my Australian instinct is therefore to dial it all down just in case. But insofar as walking and growing in the truth of Christ Jesus the Lord means abounding in thanksgiving, as Colossians 2 says, I'm always kind of rebuked and encouraged by my American brothers in this sense. I'm encouraged to abound in thanksgiving a bit more. The flip side of thanksgiving, I guess, is generosity. I'm grateful and thankful to have received something, and so I'm glad to be able to give something. Now, perhaps Americans and American churches are wealthier or better resourced than their Australian counterparts. I'm sure some of them are. 
But I have to say, I'm always bowled over in the States by the graciousness of their hosting, by the thoughtful way they provide for me and for, for their other guests, and for the generosity of the honoraria that they give to visiting speakers, just as one example. It's not a situation where we're talking about chocolates and $50 Coles vouchers. It's very common to be given a substantial thank you for speaking or contributing uh, to a conference or to a church. I've often been given a thank you note with a thousand US dollars enclosed just for preaching on Sunday at a church or for delivering a talk at a conference. And in case you think that's the reason I keep going back to the United States each year, that money does all go to defraying the costs of the trip, of, of just getting over there. But it's interesting to think why it's this way, why Americans seem to be generally more thankful than we are, more genuinely gracious and thankful about things and positive about things, and more generous in many ways, especially financially. How do cultures get to be the way they are, whether we're thinking about churches or families or communities or even whole nations? Culture is the whole way we do things around here. It's a web of habits and words and decisions and actions and structures and traditions that develop over time. How did American Christian culture get to be, generally speaking, more thankful and appreciative and generous than Australian evangelical culture? Or why, for that matter, did Australian evangelical culture develop in the way that it did, such that a book that fairly plainly described its ministry culture, that's The Trellis and the Vine, should become so popular and widely read in America as a fresh and powerful statement about disciple-making culture? Who can say? Who can say why these things develop and why history and God's providence throws up different kinds of culture in different places. But I'm sure that the gospel itself and the work of God's spirit has a lot to do with it. And so when I notice the strengths of other cultures, as well as their weaknesses, it challenges me all over again, I guess, to keep shifting our culture in a godly direction, to look and listen and learn and to trust and apply that same gospel word through that same spirit to our culture. And I guess that's why God gives us each other, to teach and encourage and edify and admonish each other, sometimes by the very way we do things. One other observation from this recent trip. One of the conference gatherings I attended met in a hotel, and as I entered the main hotel conference room to attend one of the gatherings, I noticed that there was no overhead projection in the room. There was no piano, no musical instruments of any kind. It was just one of those fairly generic, plain hotel conference rooms. And on the basis of all this, I assumed that we wouldn't be singing during our meetings because none of the apparatus for singing seemed to be present. But how wrong I was. What ensued, in fact, was some of the most edifying and heartwarming Christian singing I've experienced in a very long time. We pulled out some printed sheets that were in our conference pack uh, that contained some music and words and turned to a particular song. And then someone at the front just sang a note for us to start on, and then off we went. Just voices singing. About 180 of us in the room, I guess. Voices raised together, singing to each other, singing with thankfulness and rejoicing to God. 
We sang some classic old hymns like Jesus Paid It All and What a Friend We Have in Jesus. We sang some more modern hymn-style songs like All Glory Be to Christ, uh, you know, the one that's set to Old Lang Syne, uh, and Christ is Mine Forevermore. And we clapped and enjoyed our way through some traditional African-American songs as well. Uh, I remember one called Glory Land uh, and another one which was called I Cannot Tell It All. The point was that all of it was completely unaccompanied. And the only variation to us just singing together was that some clever people broke into harmonies or parts at, at various points. It was about as minimalist as you could get, and yet it was maximally powerful and encouraging, because the sound in the room was the sound of Christian voices addressing one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. I couldn't help thinking how different all this was from the normal singing culture I experience in Australian churches, where, in nearly every case, the sound in the room is usually the sound of a well-amplified band, with maybe four or five instruments and two or three singers. Underneath or above this wall of sound that comes from the stage, you can hear the congregation's singing, you can hear the congregation's voices but it's a bit like a live recording at a rock concert where you can kind of hear the audience singing along in the chorus. Now, I have some theories about how we've ended up, where we've ended up here in Australia in terms of our singing culture, and that's for another time. But the contrast between the two kinds of singing was striking. And it made me wonder, have we been kind of sleepwalking towards a style of church singing where the dominant sound in the room is the sound of the band? Has our singing culture become one where the congregation is swept along and emotionally moved by the power and volume of the music itself, rather than a culture where we're spoken to, edified and uplifted by the sound of brothers and sisters singing? Now, to be quite clear, the majority of American evangelical church singing, I think, is pretty much also at that loud, amplified band end of the spectrum, as far as I've observed. But this recent experience of a very different kind of singing, one where the voices of the congregation actually dominated the room, it was electrifying and it was unsettling. Even as the hairs on the back of my neck started to resume their normal position, I couldn't help thinking to myself, is there a church back home that sings like this? And if not, why not? Well, there's a couple of reflections about my time in the US, which I hope you find stimulating and interesting. It's nice to come back to Australia too, though, I have to say. It's always great to come home. It's nice to discover what's been going on while you're away, because unless you go out of your way to find out, you really don't hear very much at all about Australia or Australian politics or sport or life while you're travelling in America. And so the election campaign, I gather, has continued to grind on, but I was mercifully spared any mention of it for the last two weeks. I also came back to media reports that the evil arch-conservatives of the Sydney Diocese are preparing once again to do their worst at the General Synod of the Anglican Church of Australia in this next week. 
something to do with affirming what Christians have believed for 2,000 years about marriage and sexuality or something of that nature. And if you'd like to pray for that General Synod gathering this week, which will be discussing the issues of sexuality, of same-sex attraction and marriage, and the place of that morality or those moral judgments within the life and doctrine of our fellowship, of our denomination, you could do worse than use the collect that is set down for this time of year in the Book of Common Prayer. That's the third Sunday after Easter. That was last Sunday, as you probably know. And interestingly, and kind of providentially, uh, that prayer goes as follows. Almighty God, who show us to them that be in error the light of thy truth, to the intent that they may return into the way of righteousness, grant unto all them that are admitted into the fellowship of Christ's religion, that they may eschew those things that are contrary to their profession, and follow such things as are agreeable to the same. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm Tony Payne. Thanks for being here again on The Painful Truth. Bye for now.